Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Los Angeles County Sheriff Lee Baca said this week he may close at least part of the L.A. County Men's Central Jail, the country's largest jail, in the face of allegations of abuse. Ben Tracy has the details, and we caution you, some of the images may be difficult to watch. I'm gasping for air, telling him to stop, I can't breathe. Gabriel Carrillo was not an inmate. He was visiting his brother at the Los Angeles Men's Central Jail. Even so, he says deputies took him into an interrogation room because he had a cell phone, a violation of visitor rules. He alleges deputies handcuffed him and beat him. I was in tremendous pain. Uh, I blacked out to a point where I was awoken to more punches to my head where my head's bouncing off the floor. He looks so bad, even his girlfriend did not recognize him. They passed right in front of me, didn't even stop. Carrillo's attorney, Ron Kay, has filed a federal civil rights lawsuit. There is no jail in the United States that has this pattern of misconduct, of abuse, and of essentially sadism that the L.A. County Jail has. Many of those accusing the deputies of assaulting them are not convicted felons. They're here waiting for a court date, unable to post bail. The FBI is investigating, and the ACLU has filed a lawsuit accusing the sheriff of ignoring inmate abuse. The 72 sworn statements in the ACLU's lawsuit paint a grim picture. Deputies slamming inmates' heads against the wall, dislocating an inmate's shoulder, and pressing a key into an inmate's arms, leaving puncture wounds. Photos gathered by the ACLU show gashes on inmates' foreheads, broken teeth, and bruising. It's huge. It's a huge problem. We get lots and lots of letters and phone calls from inmates themselves and also from family members. Esther Lim is jail monitor for the ACLU and says she witnessed one of the beatings. While conducting a jail interview, she says she looked out the window and saw two deputies punching a non-responsive inmate. And later they take out their taser and they tase this guy who is, again, not fighting, not moving, and he looks to me like he's not, he's, he's unconscious. At a press conference this week, L.A. County Sheriff Lee Baca disputed allegations that he's not properly handling the alleged abuse. We are literally in, in a reformation of how we do business when it comes to the use of force. He said he's even considering closing at least part of the jail, but not because he's being pressured. We're not talking here about uh, all of a sudden we're been, we've been in a corner. We've always believed in forward thinking in the sheriff's department. As long as I'm the sheriff of this county, we're going to always be creative and forward thinking. Baca has been sheriff for 13 years. Allegations of abuse have been ongoing since the 1970s. The sheriff gave no timeline as to when any shutdown of his lockup may happen. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception, as ladies and gentlemen, Abuse Behind the Wall, the series Voices Behind the Wall, and we become the voice of the voiceless tonight, and we're dealing with Florence Prison. Uh, 
federal prison camp here in Florence, Colorado. And we're going to talk about Michael Anderson. He's a victim of murder at Florence Prison. We're going to deal with that and other abuses behind the wall as tonight the finale, season finale of AJC Radio until after the first of the year. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. And make no mistake about it, folks, killings, murders, rapes, you name it, uh, is happening behind the wall. And we started this series, I believe, about 21 shows ago, somewhere in that ballpark of addressing uh, voices from behind the wall that just folks are not really aware of the abuse that's going on. And the abuse we're going to talk a little bit about tonight not only about Michael Anderson, because there are many of those within the criminal justice system. However, the harassment of families, the violation of privacy, all of those things that we're going to deal with tonight is happening right out in Florence, Colorado, in our backyard. And a Lieutenant Kelly from Florence Prison uh, was one of the main, uh, I, I believe, orchestrators of abuse and uh, no doubt harassment to some of the family members there at Florence this weekend. Uh, We're going to get into that discussion tonight. Dennis, I'll ask you off the top, uh, how important is it that we continue to become the voice for the voices but address the issues? In this case, the death of a gentleman who had less than two years to serve on his sentence was beaten up. And as we said last week briefly, uh, the prison offered funeral services to have him cremated. Why is that? Doesn't happen in the federal or state prison level, but I believe without question, it was, it's without a doubt a cover-up of what happened to Mr. Anderson. Your thoughts? And I agree. Most likely, it is definitely a cover-up. Uh, uh, when you think about it, it's like who would who would even offer that? Uh, but anyway, uh, again, AJC has to continue to expose the corruption. We got to make sure people understand that no one is above the law, and until the the, the judicial system, until we get everybody involved. To say enough is enough. We're tired of, uh, you know, prisoners being beat, uh, killed, uh, family members being treated like dirt. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I understand uh, we have a judicial system uh, that provides punishment for those uh, supposedly who deserve. But when you go above and when you start torturing, when you start killing inmates, we got a major problem. And we definitely... As a uh, as an agency, we got to get out there and continue to push everyone to get involved with making changes to our uh, laws. No, without question, and we're going to again address those address those issues tonight. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in tonight six four six two hundred zero six two eight. That's six four six two hundred zero six two eight. Dial in. We'd like to hear from you tonight. What is the problem? What is going on? It's simple murder. It is simply a massacre happening in prisons across this country while Florence is tucked away in the hills of Colorado, hidden away, uh, at least believing that they're covered. We're going to expose that corruption tonight at that penitentiary. And uh, this, these issues at this place has been going on for a long time. And uh, it's, it's just, to me, uh, it, as you said, Dennis, no one is above the law here. Uh, if you're going to abuse people, don't put on a good face on it. Don't put up a good face say, well, we're doing everything we can to rehabilitate our inmates. That is such garbage. It's garbage. 
and that's across the board in this country, in penitentiaries, in jails, uh, in, in, as we talked about last week, the abuse at Supermax, uh, the really the forgotten. We're going to touch in a little bit about that tonight, folks, as we continue to address this issue. Stay with us on the other side of the break. Voices from behind the wall. We become the voices of the voices, and we are touching on Florence, Colorado. ADX, hang on. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should they ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, one 855 529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice, and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested. Held in custody. Questioned without my knowledge. Exposed to violence. Witnessed to rape. Placed in solitary confinement. Unable to call or see me. Shackled to a wall. Beaten. Sentenced as an adult at age 17. Sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope. My child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. 
Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight we are addressing voices from behind the wall and dealing with some horrific behavior and conduct at the hands of correctional officers at Florence ADX. Not only the uh, Supermax that we talked about and touched in on a little bit last week, uh, but within the campsite as well, a young man by the name of Michael Anderson was, uh, what we believe, was murdered at that facility. Uh, and it was a complete cover-up by Florence Prison Camp uh, there. And I'll tell you what right now, uh, this, these are things that uh, we're not going to remain silent on. This is a young man uh, who was get, due to get out. Uh, he had a little less than two years, a little less than two years. And uh, uh, to be, say that he took his life, and that's what they claim to be, well, he took his life. Looking at two years, not too long before that, had had a, a sit down with his son and his wife, talking about all the good things they were going to do. They were going to, you know, you know, do things that he had been wishing that he was going to get a good job and be able to go out and do things. They were they were really uh, true outdoorsmen, uh, but they were they were just excited about the end of this incarceration, uh, and to just suddenly take your life uh, with all of those promising things ahead of you. Just you couldn't fool anybody with that one. Uh, you're going to hear from the family who's going to address this issue. They were on this show shortly after uh, the death of Michael Anderson. Uh, Billy Anderson uh, and, and, and the family came on here and, and poured their hearts out about the abuse behind the wall. In this case, uh, the, tragic, the tragedy didn't end there. Uh, the son of Michael Anderson, after his father's death, uh, felt it was too much for him to deal with. He said he missed his dad, and he needed uh, – he couldn't, just felt like he couldn't make it without him. Um, shortly thereafter, he went into the countryside, if you will, 
and uh, up in the mountains, took his own life. Uh, at, and I believe he was he was a very young man, and we're gonna get we're gonna get to his age exactly uh, what his age was. Uh, but uh, this is a tragedy. This is what injustice does. Uh, it has a ripple effect on not only uh, the people that are going through it within the prison, but then the family members who suffer extreme agony and pain as a result uh, of injustice. And we become their voice tonight. Right now, uh, we're going to get ready to hear that interview of the tragic ending and the tragic death, again, which we believe, the family believes without question, was murder. And that's happening behind the wall right here in Florence, Colorado. Let's hear the clip. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we are joined by the family members of Michael Anderson. And uh, I would ask the question, and I put this question first to Billy, his mother, uh, who said, Billy, you have reason to believe that this was not a suicide, as the prison has stated. Why don't you talk to our listeners and tell your story of what you believe happened? Okay. I know that uh, I was visiting Michael on Sunday, and he was scared to death. And he kept saying, you know, that the guards were harassing him and that the inmates were being mean to him and that they put him in the solitary confinement um, and that I know and he was scared. Um, I don't believe he committed suicide because Andy was stronger than that. And also, uh, he promised his son and I he would be all right. Um, I I, uh, just, the feeling inside my heart and my stomach, and my mother knows, you know, I I do not believe he killed himself. I believe that he was killed by either guards or inmates. Okay. And uh, during our conversation, Billy, you had stated that, um, and I believe, Terry, you shared this with me, that he said he was counting the days. uh, uh, He had two years uh, left to go, and he was counting the days of getting out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, he was... You know, he was uh, uh, looking forward to doing different things and and going different places and uh, just getting out of there. Yeah, he was he he was really looking forward to it. Okay, and um, Terry, uh, did somebody else have a comment on this? No, I can just uh, second that. Uh... I was down there two weeks before he killed, or he was killed, and uh, he was counting down the months to get out, talking about you know job hunting, and yeah, it just really took me by surprise. Yeah, so every indication points to the fact that he was looking to come home. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think, uh, and these are these are why the questions are raised, and uh, as you know. Uh, Florence, Colorado has had a history of questionable conduct uh, at that facility. And you guys went into any other issues while you were there that raised a question that made you feel that, you know what, something is, something's wrong here. Um, and, and one question before, before you go there, what was he put in solitary confinement for? 
Well, they said that he was chewing tobacco. And I know he was not because I had been with him from 8 o'clock in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. You know, and, and there's no breaks. I mean, he potty break or something like that, but you don't have tobacco in the potty room. Anyway, uh, I know he did not have tobacco in his mouth. I would have seen it and I would have smelled it. And his 19-year-old son also said, he, you know, he didn't smell it and, and Trevor's got a good nose. You know, right. so we know he didn't have tobacco in there. They said he swallowed it. I think it was just a reason to put him in solitary confinement, you know, so they had him off by himself. Right. And, uh, and honestly, um, uh, <coughs> if any tobacco was in the facility, number one, they would have cut his break or his visit short immediately if there was any threat of contraband uh, based upon policy. Uh, so the fact that he waited out his entire visit uh, – and was talking to you. Um, now, Billy, you did reference something in reference that uh, the guards even threatened him, uh, was threatening the fact that they were going to put inmates on him to shank him. Is that correct? Um, uh, that's what uh, I was told by by another inmate. You know. Oh, I see. And rest, and rest assured, folks, uh, you know, inmates, uh, they're the newspaper of the prisons. Uh, they're the current news of the prisons, and I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff is valid that inmates are talking can, about. Go ahead. I can verify that, Lamont. I've I've been to, um, unfortunately, a number of of federal institutions, uh, including the camp at uh, at Florence, and okay. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a number of guards there that think that it is their duty in life to become your punisher, not that being there is punishment enough being away from your family and your loved ones and and the people you care about and doing the things in life that we actually enjoy they sure. think it is their duty to be your punisher and firsthand I, I swear to god that this is the truth no i agree with you i was wrongfully convicted here in the state of colorado uh wrongfully and uh did time um for seven years for something I didn't do. So the knowledge of how things operate in the, in the penal system is very much the same at the state and federal level. Um, you know, and Desiree, is that his daughter? Yes. And Desiree, are you on the line with us as well? Yes, I am. Okay. And again, my condolences to you. When you look at, at the situations here where your father is concerned, um, you know, I don't see a father just in this case. You know, I, I kept saying to Billy, it doesn't stand to reason that a man, now if a man is facing a life sentence, he's never going to get out. He's miserable. He's unhappy. He has nothing to go to. He is alone. He is destitute. That's one thing. But for your father, Desiree, to be looking at two years, he's counting the days. He's talking about job hunting. He's talking about seeing his little girl again. What are your thoughts about what happened here, Desiree? Well, I don't think he did it himself. Just, I mean, he was talking to his grandkids. He would call and talk to them and tell them, you know, when he gets out, they're going to go do stuff and go hunting. It just doesn't add up to me. Absolutely. And have you guys um, um, filed any type of report 
uh, I understand, uh, and we will t- uh, not talk about things specific to the to the pending uh, litigation or whatever may be pending. But has action been taken uh, in regards to the um, to action in regards to uh, you know calling the prison in question of what's going on? This is Terry. Let let me speak to that a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've got a couple, I guess, opinions or observations here. Uh, First thing I'm pretty sure of is directly or indirectly, this prison caused Andy's death. Okay. Uh, Trying to get information from uh, this federal bureaucracy for the average individual. It's pretty much impossible. <clears throat> I tried, you know, this is, he died on the 7th, it's a holiday. I started the next day trying to call all the numbers that I could get my hands on to the prison. <clears throat> I, I wasn't looking for details of what happened or how it happened, just the logistics. Uh, how do we get him back? Where is he now? So on. Zero help. I mean, zero. Uh, Finally had one gal says, well, call the mortuaries. Didn't say who or where. Just start calling the local mortuaries. And that's where I found him. I started calling there, and he was at it. And they said, yeah, we got him. Um, so, it, you know, <clears throat> trying to get any answers out of this prison for the average individual about anything, even finding a person to talk to, it's impossible. You know, that's, that's my experience. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, be, before he died, he was afraid of something. He didn't confide a lot in me. Yeah, I think he did more to his mother and his wife there. Sure. Uh, but the, the thing of it is, uh, these guys in prison, any prison, they, they are uh, totally... You know, at the mercy of the people running it. I mean, there's no way you can dial 911 or call anybody when you want to. Or, and uh, I know the days before his death, you know, something was bothering him. He was worried. And I know he'd reached out to at least a couple of the guards for help. And uh, not only did he get not help, you know, no help, uh, he got pounded in the ground a little more. Made it worse. Uh, so uh, but, and this is Terry, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Terry, yeah, please go ahead. But yeah, I guess what we're looking for as a family is, is some accountability from this organization, and I'm thinking without some nudge or help, they're not going to give it voluntarily. So, you know, when the person's coming on here, if there's anyone out here that's, uh, that's dealt with this thing before and had any luck with it, know someone that can take it on, uh, we we sure like some help here. Oh, and thank you for that, Terry. We intend to um, blow up, if you will, no, uh, not intention, not uh, literally, but to blow up the Internet. Uh, Facebook, social media, every place. And to our listeners, ladies and gentlemen across America, this could be you. You could be the Anderson family that has lost a great deal as a result of injustice here. And 
You know, it's not unreasonable to believe, uh, Cliff, that, that this situation rings and smells a foul play here. My understanding, uh, Billy, was that there were even some bruises uh, on Mr. Anderson. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about that, then, Cliff. I'm going to have you chime in on this. Okay. Um, well, I went down to see him, you know, before uh, he was uh, cremated and that, and, uh, you know, they embalmed him and everything. And I, he had bruises all over his face. I've got pictures of it. Uh, he did not have those on Sunday when I had left at at uh, noon or whenever I'd left. He had no bruises on his face, but he does have quite a few bruises on his face. Oh, and, wow. Uh, uh, and I'm not sure where else he has them because I didn't, uh, I seen them on, on his face, and, and but I didn't see any others. But that doesn't mean they're not there. And there was blood on the gown that he had on uh, in, in the mortuary when I went to see him. There was blood on the gown. Yeah, and it does. were split pretty good, too. Oh, he did. His he had okay. So it looked like like he was in a fight of some sort. Yeah. Okay, and some and Samantha, uh, are you with us? Yes, I am. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. Samantha, uh, you are the wife of Michael Anderson. Yes, I am. My sincere condolences to you uh, as a wife. Uh, I'm so sorry. Very very sorry. Um, your thoughts on this? Uh, my understanding from Billy is that he was excited that you were coming uh, to see him, uh, and he looks forward to that. Yes. Um, yeah, I was. Um, actually, I was in um, the line waiting to visit him um, the day that he supposedly um, killed himself, and they. I waited from eight o'clock in the morning until like eleven. It was like eleven forty-eight when they came and told me to go to the camp. I was happy because I thought they had let him out. You know, I was locked down, and he was back in the camp. And um, they just took me in the back and told me that he had taken his own life that morning. Um, I know he was having problems um, with the guards. Something was bothering him. He wouldn't quite tell me what. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he did it. And, and if, if and he did, got- there was somebody making him do it, you know, and I, there was somebody there telling him if he didn't do it, then, you know. Yeah. Well, there's so, there's so many uh, issues with this story because first off, uh, you know, they, they say there's no solitary confinement, that an inmate is not kept in a, uh, in a cell by himself. And my take is if, and that is a large if, uh, Michael Anderson had taken his own life, there was someone else in the cell. They would have been able to alert the other guards. They would have been able to get out of it or uh, help him in whatever situation. That is a large if. And, you know, when you look at the facts of this matter, uh, it says that um, that you guys, as, as his family, had moved to Canyon City, which is very close to the Florence facility so that you could visit him more often and that he was uh, ecstatic about that fact that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm counting the days that I'll be getting out. My, my family is closer. They'll be able to uh, to visit me. Um, and then to and not get a report from BOP that, right. you know, 
uh, get a call if there's something that's happened to your loved one. We need to speak to you, you know, as as as, right. as, as a decent, uh, you know, system would do. But then to wait in line for four hours and then to be brought in the back, your your husband has taken his life. And then where is the written report on what happened to him? Yeah, have they... and, and to be told, to for his father to be told, just check some of the local mortuaries. You'll find them somewhere. Where is right. the dignity wow. and the, the humanity, the respect of this is my family member, this is my son, husband, oh. my father that has passed away? Where Where is the human side of BOP that says we are helping you? See, that? that's why I say, you know, there's no rehabilitation in the American We're not system. people to them, Lamont. We're, we're not people. They feed no. us. I've seen firsthand they feed us stuff that says do not feed, do not for human consumption. Sure. You know, the chicken that they give us is the side that they inoculate the chickens on. And, you know, they, it's meant to go to, uh, like, hog slop, and they, and they send it to institutions throughout the country for a discounted uh, tax rate. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what they do. We're, we're numbers to them. We're cattle. It's, you know, it's, it's a sham. There's corporations like Unicor that are capitalizing on our incarceration. And the money that they make on our commissary is astronomical. It's astronomical. Well, there you have it. The part one interview with the Anderson family. Uh, Talking tonight about abuse in Florence, Colorado. Uh, I'll tell you, listening to that again uh, is very, very clear. that Mr. Anderson was killed. There's just no, there's no getting around that. Um, I do not believe it was an inmate killing. Now, the guards, to give you a little bit of an idea of what the mindset of the guards were, is that they threatened and made fun and mocked him that they would put him on the yard and that they had given orders on the yard to have him shanked. And the, the terminology shank, folks, if you don't know it, that means stabbed. And I'll tell you right now, the contradiction here that perhaps the inmates may have done it, he was in the hole. There are no interaction with inmates in solitary confinement, period. So the fact that to this day, we still do not have a report from the prison on exactly what happened. You're going to hear later in this program from Billy, the mother of Michael Anderson, who said the coroner himself, after reviewing and examining the body, told her she needs to get an attorney because he would, this was not a suicide. That report alone should have shook Washington to act. Period. Period. Should have, should have caused the Bureau of Prisons and the director to say, we have an issue here, but that would be in a perfect world and, and in, a, in a system that was fair and just. This is not a just system. So while Florence officials sit up and cover these things as they do, why am I calling morgues to find out where my son's body is? Why am I having to run down where my son's body is? And that, happened, that went on for a minute. 
for quite some time. They were trying to find where's this body. They wouldn't give him any information. If you're doing everything above board, and this man took his life immediately that morning, there is a phone call made to that family. We hate to report to you. Why the delay? The delay is for one reason. To cover it up. To cover it up. Why can't I pick up the phone and say, where is my son's body? And, and the director of the warden says, his body is here. It's been transported to so-and-so. It's at this location. Go there. That's the right thing to do if everything is above board. When you start concealing and covering and hiding, I'm telling you, it is clear. Something went awry here, and it was at the hand of Florence Prison in Colorado, Florence, Colorado. This is what happened here. And if you think we are going to be silent, if you think we're going to not expose murder by those who wear the badge, you are sadly mistaken. This is AJC Radio on the other side. We're coming back part two of the interview with the Anderson family. Voices from Behind the Wall continues. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's one 855 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I wanted to be in the military since I was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats, 
I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for them to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall continues as we become the voice for the voiceless tonight. And tonight we deal with the very troubling fact that behind America's prisons, walls, and jails, people are dying. People are suffering. And it's time that we rise up. AJC Radio Just Cause organization is committed to one thing, and that is to be a voice for the voiceless. As we started our series 21 shows ago, Voices from Behind the Wall, voices of those who have been silenced by a system that is meant to cover and to hide the corruption in which it, in which, in which it resides in. We are committed to being the voice for those that have even gone on and that have died as a result of abuse behind the wall. Tonight we have dealt in a little bit with the Michael Anderson story, and we are dealing with the simple fact that this young man died needlessly. 
and was scared to death of what could happen to him. And that happened, that came from correctional officers who mocked him, who laughed at him, who told him that we will have you eliminated, killed in population. We have talked to other inmates that will take your life. And for a man looking at two years and a little less than that, what kind of society have we become? Dennis shows us. That's why we, I mean, we got to push for transparency. I mean, these prisons, like you said, they're, they're hidden in hills. They're hitting uh, all over this country, and they're put in places that are desolate. desolate. And, uh, you know, nobody has access to them. You know, no one's allowed to go in. I mean, it's just crazy. There's no uh, federal oversight. Uh, it's, it's either a state ran, and either, even if it is a federal prison, no one's going out uh, of their, out of their way to go look at it. And so we've given them a, a, the, the, the power to do whatever they want. I mean, in that prison, uh, the prison guards and, uh, you know, leadership there, uh, they're God. I mean, they could do anything they want. They're not held accountable. Uh, as you talked about the young man that was killed, and I guarantee you there has not been one legal action against any guard uh, as of yet, and who knows if it ever will be. But if we don't come together, if we don't have shows like this to speak out and make sure America knows there is something going on behind the wall. And we're going to show you, we're going to tell you about it. And hopefully by, you know, people learning that we have a major problem with our jail system, our, our correction system, that maybe enough people will start speaking out and saying, I want to know what you're doing with the inmates. I want to know whether it's your child, whether it's your father, mother, something has to be done because what happened at uh, Florence was totally wrong. And again, I agree with you, Lamont. I guarantee you it had to do something because no way you're going to tell me uh, we'll cremate your son for free. Come on. Well, that doesn't make sense at all. Well, the tragedy here is not only that, but they we, we talk about solitary confinement for a reason. Uh, the solitary confinement has been compared to dying every single day. Wow. This young man who, to be put in there, as Billy alluded to, uh, just looked for a reason, an excuse to lock him up. In an interview with CBS, a former prisoner at ADX Florence says the Supermax is unlike any other prison. Garrett Linderman describes the segregation as the brutality of isolation. It destroys the human spirit. He says breaks down the human psyche. It breaks your mind. This is so... Whether you're in supermax, whether you're in population, whether you are threatened with solitary confinement on a consistent basis, you are. You can do anything. Well, I'll take you, I'll, I'll take you to the hole. Well, don't, don't look funny or don't, don't, don't do this. I'll take you to the hole. I heard it for seven years looking for a reason to put somebody in that place. And I'm telling you, it is horrific. I remember going to solitary confinement during my wrongful conviction for a period of time and there was a gentleman on the end they called it the observation cell and he was the, the guards had walked by and everybody was screaming and yelling because a, a horrific smell was coming through the, through the hole 
In this particular prison in Buena Vista, you have bars. So there's no shut the door to the smell or shut the, no, you had bars. And the gentleman was, had cut himself and he had gone to the bathroom on himself and was rubbing feces over his entire body to get transferred from the hole. He snapped. And if that is not an indication that there is a problem in this country, in our criminal justice, why would you drive a man to that? The gentleman just said in, in, uh, in ADX, he said it destroys the human spirit. It's br- the brutality of isolation. And they let that man sit there for three days in his feces, three days, until there almost became a riot in the hole because guards looked the other way. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is uncomprehendable. Cliff, when you hear that, when you, I'm telling you, it, it goes to the core of our society not being as righteous, if you will, as they uh, make themselves to, to be, that we have to treat human beings and guards were laughing when, when they had to go in there. They were laughing that this man, not only had he spread feces on himself, he swallowed a razor blade hoping that it would cut an artery that would end his life. This is where this went to. Cliff, your thoughts. You know, it, you have to ask, and, and when does... Uh, somebody in Washington, somebody at the headquarter level, somebody at the um, congressional level say, where is the oversight? I mean, they have a prison oversight committee, but it, no, they aren't doing anything. And we have heard time and time again that uh, when they do their inspections, calling themselves over, they're making sure that everything is going on right they announced the inspection a month beforehand. And, and this isn't, it's not like it's a secret. It is well known by the public, by the administration, by the inmates, by everyone that, oh, if there's going to be an inspection, it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a, a, a previous notice. They're going to know a month before time so that they can clean everything up so that they can get a chance to, the people that they're abusing, you know, let them heal up a little bit. Where are the people um, in the administration that said, no, we're we're just going in today and we're doing an inspection to make sure that you are treating our citizens like humans. But uh, like Michael Anderson's um, dad, who was who was on the recording a little earlier, said inmates are seen as humans. And until we can change that, that stereotype, until we can get that out of the psyche in the minds of these correctional officers, that work at these facilities, we're going to continue to have these type of things go on. If they, if the people who work there, who are supposed to, you know, they're supposed to protect them. They're supposed to ensure that, that uh, nothing happens to them and that they serve their sentence for the crime that they did. Instead, you have these prison guards that want to become judge, jury, and executioner. People are incarcerated. That is their punishment for whatever crime they may have, committed and then you have the ones who are have been like you Lamont who have been wrongfully convicted convicted wrongfully uh sentenced and incarcerated 
and you they they still experience the abuse guards who feel like it is their job to and to mete out the punishment upon these inmates it is not their job it, the the where is the level of humanity and where is the oversight where are the where is the um you know, the people with authority that can come in and say you are not going to treat other human beings like this. And it goes all the way up to Congress. Where is the oversight committee that says we're going to come in and and ensure that this type of behavior uh, stops? Well, the bottom line is, and good point, Cliff, is the failure to act makes you culpable in the death, in the abuse, in the rape, and the violence against these prisoners. You, don't, you are not on a committee to simply say my name is on the roll. I'm part of this committee and that committee. What are we doing? What actions are we taking? Who's on the phone with the Bureau of Prisons director holding his feet to the fire to say you have failed at your job? You have failed at your job. Where are you? Because I'll tell you what, folks, whether the committee doesn't matter. If action is not taken, this, these actions, I think about Billy Anderson. I think about his son who killed himself, blew his brains out because I can't take my dad being gone anymore. Before, his, before this death happened, he was excited with his dad. He was looking for who are we as a society to punish inmates beyond that which they have been sentenced to because we feel like they deserve it. That is garbage. Should not be. Should not be. Let's play a clip. We're going to get your thoughts on the other side of it. A man named Christopher Lopez died in a Colorado prison called the San Carlos Correctional Facility. And he died because the guards didn't really care enough to get him medical help when he clearly needed it. So I'm gonna show you a small clip here. This is from just before his death. Warning, this is hard to watch. concrete floor, labored breathing, no shirt on, no pants on, clearly in pain. What was the response? He's also in chains. What was the response of the guards? They were laughing. They were having a casual discussion, nonchalant, back and forth. You hear them laughing, joking about whatever. 
uh, there was like a 45-minute clip slash almost a documentary made by these uh, prison guard officers, these officials. And they were discussing how, oh, this guy has had so many behavioral problems and so many issues and this and that. Now, would you like to know the reality of it, which is why this is beyond frustrating. This is this flat out is unacceptable in the United States of America. This guy was a schizophrenic. He's a schizophrenic and he died from something 100% preventable. He died because of a sodium deficiency from the psychotropic drugs that he was on to deal with his schizophrenia. So in other words, if it wasn't for the gross, over-the-top negligence of the people who were supposed to be doing their job, this guy would still be alive. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Now, some people would fire back and say, hey, it might be a boy who cried wolf situation where this guy was causing problems before and he faked things before. Therefore, uh, they thought he was faking again, so they reacted how they reacted. I don't give a I don't give a shit because the whole idea of criminal justice in a civilized country is supposed to be that we are above them. We are above them in the sense that we're not going to stoop down to the same level of morality and ethics as they possibly would be if they ran the prison. So you still get your medication if you need your medication. You still get medical care if we think even for a split second that you need medical care. This is 100% unacceptable. They didn't even have a first aid kit. They didn't even have some water there next to him to try to help him out, to talk to him, to say what's going on here, what exactly is wrong. They just had him on the ground, heavy labored breathing for 30 minutes plus, and then he died. I don't know how many times I've made this point on air, but I want to make it again because I think it's very, very important and it's overlooked. At some point when we do stories like this and when we have a situation like this after situation like this, what the guards need to understand is that at some point, you become the criminal. You become the bad guy. Because I was reading about this earlier. Uh, criminally negligent manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter. That's what they did there. They're uh, liable for that. They should. Some of them were fired. I think three of them were fired. Five of them faced some disciplinary action. But uh, as far as I know, none of them are brought up uh, on – are going to trial, and I doubt that any of them would be convicted. But see, that's the problem. The problem is there's no accountability for them because they put themselves uh, morally above the law. They say we're above the law because we are the law. There you have it. Unacceptable. You have a man in a cell that is dying, and you're laughing. You and you don't have an opportunity or a chance to be convicted. You'll Something's never wrong. spend a day in jail. Something's wrong with that. Despite the high risk security level of its population, Florence has been targeted with various lawsuits for inhumane practices. The New York Times cites an incident where one prisoner attempted suicide by slicing his wrist. And upon subsequent discharge from the hospital, a guard allegedly forced him 
to scrub dried blood off the floor of his cell. Your thoughts? Again, it's just uh, being above the law. Something has to happen. I mean, uh, you know, people talk training. Uh, they talk all this stuff. It's, it's, it's called humanity. That's what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's, talk, it's called, uh, you know, treating people the way you want to be treated. And then just because you have the ability or you have the authority uh, to, to push somebody down and make them clean up the blood or, or to take an individual's life, something, again, uh, has to be done uh, until we hold them accountable. So if you take a life, guess what? It's considered murder, period. Not, not, you don't get suspended. You, you, you don't get doc pay. No. You go on trial. Well, that's what needs to happen. Look, if I knowingly can prevent someone from dying in my presence and I fail to do so, I am accountable, arrested exactly. for failure to act. If I am, hold, if I am held to that standard, I just, I don't get it. You lose a job, you get suspended. You are responsible for the death of this man. You laughed as he died, laboring to breathe. And you want to know, you want to talk about justice in this country? You want to talk about we, uh, America does the right thing. Do your job. The Bureau of Prisons director at this point, if this is a federal prison and he, it starts at the top, exactly. he should be taken out of that building in handcuffs and charged with accessory to murder. That, it is what it is. Exactly. That warden at that institution should be taken out in handcuffs. That guard who stood there laughing, both of them, should be taken out in handcuffs. But that's where justice would reign. But we demand justice of our citizens. We demand do the right thing, citizens. Where's your accountability? Nobody should have to make a hundred calls to the Bureau of Prisons when something has gone wrong at a facility without a return call. Exactly. That's unacceptable. What are you up there in Washington, D.C. for, Mr. Director? What are you there for? It's more than a job. It is a responsibility to do the right thing. And we will not be silent. This is AJC Radio on the side of the break. We come back. Voices from behind the wall. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. 
Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences, and has created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, and intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. You just have a felony conviction for possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotic sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where it should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us 
in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, our continued series, Voices from Behind the Wall. Um, I'll tell you right now, this has been probably one of the most emotional series uh, that we have carried on this program. At times, it is difficult to hold the emotion as you hear of the tragedies uh, that are happening to human beings. And you sit here, you try to wrap your hands around it, it is impossible. To wrap your hands around something or your mind around something means it is normal. This is not. Federal policy prohibits inmates with serious mental illness from being transferred to Supermax. But seriously, mental ill inmates are nonetheless assigned there anyway. Bureau of Prison Policy next requires incoming prisoners to be properly evaluated at ADX for mental health problems. But the complaint alleges that these initial screenings are only perfunctory interviews that typically consist of a few questions asked in one minute or two. That's your mental evaluation of a patient. That's insanity. And I want to play a clip right now regarding uh, dealing with this topic. Let's hear it. Elsewhere, a video showing a mentally ill prison inmate in the U.S. being dragged by guards has been made public. You may find the following footage disturbing. Now, Abdul Akbar died in November last year, eight days after this video was shot. He spent more than three hours in a segregation area before being taken to hospital. He was serving a sentence in Detroit for breaking and entering. Initially, doctors concluded that Akbar died of natural causes related to heart disease and not from injuries received during the incident. Detroit police concluded that no criminal activity took place. But after the video emerged, Akbar's daughter filed a wrongful death lawsuit believing the prison guard should be held responsible. Well, we contacted Wayne County Sheriff's Office, which is responsible for the prison, for their response to the allegations. The Wayne County Sheriff's Office conducted a thorough investigation and submitted a warrant request. Although the prosecutor declined to pursue charges, there still remains pending litigation in the U.S. District Court. Accordingly, we are going to refrain from commenting on the case at this time. Well, we discuss mentally ill people being mistreated in U.S. prisons with Michael Wood, a former police officer. He believes that inmates are in danger. This whole system is not built on the same manner of getting people 
back to where they need to be to actually helping people. What this really shows is how what can happen to people, especially Black Americans, when they go to the prison system and get into the criminal justice system on, on something that's really minor or is, is like technicalities for people that don't deserve uh, to be treated in this manner entirely, to even like be in this situation for, for things that we're clearly not trying to get people uh, to improve. We're just doing things to keep making things more difficult for them and then putting them in these kind of situations where they're not even safe in the state's custody. Well, there have been numerous cases of mentally ill inmates abused in U.S. prisons, as documented in a Human Rights Watch report. Released alongside the report was the following footage, which again, you may find disturbing. I don't know, this is kind of funny. I don't know if you have a seizure or not. You get in trouble or not, you know. Cut it off. Hi, Susan! Hi! In accordance with California Code Regulations, Title 153268, we are authorized to use force, including chemical agents, to physically extract you. I to use those two well, the issue has attracted the attention of activists from across the country. The Brave New Films group made a documentary on the fact that uh, more people with mental illness are held in jails in the U.S. than in state hospitals. The prison system is ill-equipped to treat people with mental illness. Guards resort to abuse to force compliance. Medical care, including vital medication and therapy, are more often than not neglected. This lack of care leads to horrific encounters which defy our very sense of human decency. Well, there you have it as well. This is difficult. This is, this is difficult. Uh... The guy had no idea what was going on. And you're abusing him. Ultimately, you're going to kill these guys. When do we act? When do we... But you know what? I mean, as sick as that recording is, these are obviously, like you said, this guy has no idea what's going on, and you have a guard who who's shouting um, law and code at him. You know, based on provision, whatever, whatever, we're authorized to extract you from your cell, even using chemical force. He's not even in the same room with you mentally, and you're telling him what authorization you have to drench him in, pe in pepper spray. And then you have the other guard saying, spray him again. This man needs mental, psychological um, evaluation and care. And you're barking laws at him. And, and when you have a guard doing that, all that is is to cover him when it comes down and say, well, I warned him based on whatever regulation that I had the right to remove him from his cell using uh, chemical intervention. 
this is how sickening is that that you have that that is like you have a three year old child and and if the child is throwing a temper tantrum, you tell him, "Oh, I'm going to pepper spray you and, so that you'll go up to your room because that is the mental capacity of some of these some of these people that are incarcerated in state prisons and jails that should be in an institution for the mentally unstable and you're pepper spraying them and abusing them and beating them and watching them choke to death and die and saying, well, he cried wolf before. So we thought he was doing it again. It is not your position. It's not your job to make a medical or mental evaluation. You take the person to the infirmary if they look like they're having a medical issue. And these guards have, I mean, where is your, where do, where does their mental compass i mean their moral compass even begin that they can watch a person suffer like this and not do anything just stand back and laugh and say well you know this is this, this is what we go through this is this is the job this is what we have to deal with this is sickening and how do we in america allow these things to happen uh without intervention and without without an uprising and what's worse is you find people being held accountable for doing cruel things to animals and treating animals in a way they shouldn't be treated. And people care more about animals than they do about the human beings that are locked up in these prisons. They treat them like they're less than human. If you do, if you mistreat a dog, they will lock you up in a minute. You don't even have to kill the dog, hurt the dog, and they will lock you up. They can kill an inmate and suffer no consequences because they don't care about these people at all. They don't think of them as human beings. Oh, Liz, a good point. Cliff, good point on that as well. Uh, Listen to this. This is tragic. Um, Many mentally ill prisoners at ADX, Supermax, this is Florence, Colorado, folks, who are placed on sack launch restriction have received sacks suitably videotaped, being delivered to their cells. But when they open the bags off camera, they sometimes are empty. Through this rules, ADX staff produce false video evidence of feeding, raising, if only for a minute, the prisoner's hope for basic nutrition, then smash the often chained and always hungry prisoner's hopes with a bag of air. Can you explain that to me? I, I can't comprehend that. I mean, that's just, I mean, you're talking cruelty. That's, it, first of all, it doesn't make any sense. But that shows you the, uh, the, you know, how far one will go uh, or the prison system will go to try to make it look like all is well. This is a torture chamber. A torture chamber. You have these, these, these are the mentally ill prisoners who cannot put together, why are you not giving me my food? And then when they're laying on a cell dead, you want to write a report they took their life? You've got to be kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Florence, Colorado. And I'll tell you right now, I don't care if it's the warden. The warden's culpable on both sides. You're culpable for this behavior because you have the ability as the warden of Florence prison camp to do something. While you have mentally ill patients eating nothing, but hold on, smile for the cameras, folks. With your empty bag. 
Come on. They don't even know the bag's empty. Wow. And the mentally ill doesn't know the bag is empty. That's torture. I'll tell you right now, I don't care who's in that at Florence prison camp. If this is going on on your watch, you should take your keys, lock your door, and leave and never come back. They need to clean house in Florence. You need to clean house. And you need to change the culture of what you're doing to human beings. We talked some weeks ago, again, voices from behind the wall, voices from the grave, voices of the innocent. We've done all of it. Listen to this next clip, and we're going to go, we're going, we're going to go to the part two interview with the Anderson family after this clip, but I want you to hear this. A man gasping for breath to live, and nothing is done. Let's hear it. This man is begging for his life. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. It's heartless. I mean, when you don't have care for, uh, when you when you believe that the inmates uh, deserve whatever they get, and, and that you believe they're less than, as uh, Lisa alluded to, uh, you know, a dog or a cat, you know, I mean, you're always going to have abuse. And again, uh, like you said before, if there's no accountability, why stop? I mean, so it's sad to say something has to happen where uh, when, when, when things like this happen, guess what? You're going to pay the price. Not only will you be fired, but you're going to be put up on charges. 
it's it's uh it's one of those things, folks, that you have to get outraged about it. You have to. This I don't care who you are, where you come from, what background you may have. When a gentleman is on there saying, Please help me. He can't breathe. He can't breathe. And you're That's what do you say to that? That's uh, AJC Radio or Just Cause are committed to being a voice for the voiceless. And for those who have the audacity to say they deserve whatever they get, you're as sick as they are. As true sick as they are. We will hold those accountable who have failed at their post, who have failed on their watch to protect the lives and really the, the, the basic human rights of treatment is, uh, is missing. Um, we're committed to getting in this fight and staying in it. Right now, we go to part two, Michael Anderson's family concludes their interview with us about the untimely horrific death and killing and murder of their son, their husband, their father. Let's conclude that interview now. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, folks, and Samantha, um, have they, and to, uh, this is the, the question to all of you, have they given you anything as far as an incident report, a copy of an incident report. Uh, no, I haven't, we haven't got anything, no paperwork, nothing. Not even when they sent his personal belongings to me did I get any paperwork even for like from his court hearing as to why he was there. He has no paperwork whatsoever. So they have treated this man as if he belonged in Potter's Field, that he had no family, that he had no one. Um, this is this is tragic. And, and and furthermore, not to cut you off, Lamont, but uh, one of our one of our listeners in the chat room has brought this issue up: is that how does a medical examiner say this is a suicide when you bring in a bruised body? A bruised body. Does, does a suicide victim punch themselves to several times in the face? Is that that is not committing suicide? That is an assault. It's an assault. That probably led to death. How does a medical examiner, unless you're in the pocket of the Florence Bureau of Prison System, how does a medical examiner sign off and say this man committed suicide? Where is the autopsy report? Where is any of the information? Where is the, the, the official documentation that says this is a suicide? Because all of this information does not I mean, if you you take all this and you put it together, it does not say that a none sword, of it, that none this of it was makes suicide. Sense. None of it makes sense. I mean, nothing about the story makes sense. Everything points to the fact that this man has set his sights on getting out, moving forward, reestablishing himself in the community. Nothing says suicide on this. I mean, and 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 again, you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to this, and Billy, you pointed out the fact you you visited him days before. He was okay. Yeah. He was scared. I mean, he was a little, you know, what he was dealing with then, but there was no bruising. 
There was no split lips. There was there was nothing that showed that he had been in a conflict. And so then, and 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 Terry, I, I was listening to you. I mean to to not even know where the body was. You have to call around and find out where your son's body's at. Um, and then to discover the fact that when I we get there, he's bruised. He's his face, his lips split. Obviously, he's been in some kind of of altercation inside prison. Days, just a small window of time has passed since you've seen him. But this man, everything I'm reading here, this man was looking forward to getting out, reestablishing himself with his family, reestablishing these bonds, looking for a job. Nothing here says I'm going to commit suicide. Well, there's no warning signs. No. Um, well, there aren't any. Well, there, but there's no warning signs because the contention, and I believe, is that this man's life was taken from him. There's no warning signs to murder. Uh, there is no behavior to an unexpected killing. And uh, I'll tell you what, Terry, you said earlier, we need somebody to help. Ladies and gentlemen, you folks that may be listening to this program tonight, we ask that you reach out uh, to AJC as well as the Anderson family. Uh, you have an extended family tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And the Ander- uh, this is to the Anderson family, to Billy, to Kenny, Terry, Samantha, Desiree. That extended family now is with AJC Radio and the Just Calls. Uh, we will seek justice for Michael Anderson. Uh, so we, we do have an opportunity. Uh, we have inroads in Washington and in, 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 the, in the halls of Congress to ask the questions because human life matters. And Michael Anderson's life mattered. And we will do everything, Lisa, uh, as we have uh, sought out to seek justice. Uh, uh, talk to the Anderson family that they have our support. Oh, absolutely, 100%. We're behind you guys. I, I have a question that I'd like to ask um, uh, to um, to Billy, his mother. Uh, you said that uh, you had you had you had seen him just what would you say a couple a weeks day. before? Oh, was it the day before? It was the day before. Yeah, I'd gone up and I'd seen him Saturday, and then I seen him again Sunday, and uh, I told him that his wife would be there the next day to see him and he was you know yeah i had just seen him the the day before this all happened and he was happy about that was he about not his wife coming well he was happy but he was scared and he was tearful because he was so afraid you and know? Now, did, did he tell you that he had that he had been threatened is that why he was afraid yes and he, also he said mama i asked the guard to, to get me uh, somebody uh, to talk, get an antidepressant so I could cope better. And he told me to shut my my uh, pussy mouth, you know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Not, uh, and he was really mean to him, you know, really mean to him, the guard was. I, you know, and, and he tried several times to get people to help him, you know. Yes. Yeah, I th- I think it's 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 horrible to to have a family going through something like this unnecessarily. I mean, I I don't believe for a minute that uh, as a mother talking to your son, if he was uh, leaning in the direction of suicide. I mean, yeah, he he can be afraid, he can be upset. That doesn't mean he's going to kill himself. 
And I think uh, most mothers, I think, would know that. They would have a feeling that, hey, something's really, really wrong with him. Something's really off here. I think as a mother myself, I think you would know that. I don't believe that you could spend time with him the day before and not know if he was in that, if he was in that kind of condition. Yeah, let me chime in. This, this is Terry there, I and mean, Billy can uh, verify this, but <clears throat> she seen him all day Saturday, but only two hours in the morning on Sunday, and that's because they had locked him down the day before. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he was upset and uh, uh, worried, I, you know, I think he told somebody that the guards had was having fun with him after they locked him up, telling him he's going to be here six months and they're going to transfer into a higher security prison and stuff like it. Just having a heyday. And, and what people need to understand is he, he's a little different than the average uh, felon in prison there. He's a, he's a sensitive guy. He's a small guy. I don't know. He's five, 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 six. And, uh, I'm thinking he had, he had a conscience too, and that bothered him a lot. And I think he was just a, an easy target for the guards or you know, other inmates, and they took advantage of it, you know. Well, so, anyway. And, um, Billy, you had something to add with that? Yes, I, I was going to say, yes, he did. He told me that they had told him he'd be in there at least six months in the hole and that they were going to they were going to put him in a minimum security prison instead of the minimum or the the, the medium security mm-hmm. instead of the minimum. And he was he was really scared and he took everything these creeps. And he had never been in trouble before. He had never been in jail. You know, he was in jail for a couple hours, but never no amount of time. So no criminal record at all for Mr. Anderson. History. No. no record. Uh, no. Samantha, were you getting ready to say something? Um, no, I was. I just said that he was never in jail, and he didn't have no criminal history. So, you know, he... He wasn't like your everyday criminal, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a sure. difference between a criminal and a non-criminal. Right. Yeah, and, and and they said he had two years left, uh, Samantha, Billy, uh, the family, two years left. Uh, and what was he, if you don't mind me asking, what was he in for? Um, for distribution, conspiracy of, to distribute meth. Okay. All right. Uh, which they never right found now, Andy with with any drugs, any money. It was just people saying that Andy was involved and that's it. You know, and right. the only right. thing Andy did wrong with Andy was addicted and that's it. And guess what, folks? Right. If Andy had a big problem, they should have given given him help. That's right. You that's don't belong right. and in not prison. prison. See that's that's what right. the nation the nation right now, folks, is dealing with this issue right now. Right now, they intend to release over 6,000 inmates across the country who should have never been in prison in drug-related charges. And I think it speaks the condition of this country. Absolutely. If Andy had an addiction, he needs medical attention. He needs psychological attention to beat his addiction. A, a, a meth charge 
is not a death sentence. You don't give some and, and Andy suffered a death sentence for a minimum crime. That's not right. No matter how you look at it, and it's a it's a wrong situation. Um, we are going to fight as hard as we can for Michael Anderson and, and you as his family. And we cannot say how so very, very sorry that we are for the loss that you have suffered here. Um, is there anything else any of you wanted to tell the American people as we dig into this, this tragedy? Well, I, would just kinda, it all, I always wonder um, if I wasn't there in the row of line waiting to visit him, if they would have contacted anybody or how long it would have been before they called us. Right. To tell us, you know, that he was gone or. Sure. You know, cause I, I mean, after four hours, you know, I still don't know what time or when or we don't know anything about, you know. Yes. No, I understand so. that. And you know what? I, th- I think that those are the things that uh, that really leave us baffled. And uh, we have a um, uh, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to dig into this even further, not only while you're on the air, but while we, when we go off the air, we are going to dig into the problem that's, that, that this is a major problem. And I think, Lisa, it's an idea for us uh, to, contact, uh, to contact Washington and to the Anderson family out of respect uh, for your time, uh, what you've gone through this evening. We cannot say thank you enough for talking to our listeners tonight. And understand we feel your pain more than you will ever know. And I want to give each and every person an opportunity, if you would like, to say a closing remark to our audience. Anything that's on your heart that you'd like to say, we give you the floor tonight to do that. We'll start first. Billy, you have something you want to say to our listeners? Yes, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, they haven't signed off on the um, autopsy or or the, the cause of death yet. The coroner has not got the thing, and, and I don't, uh, anyway, they haven't signed off yet, so it's not being signed off as a suicide as of yet. And then another thing I'd like to say, Andy really was a good guy, and I appreciate everybody who reaches out to us and tries to help us, and Please, if anyone, if there's a lawyer out there that would like to take on a case, please get a hold of a just cause, and, and then they'll get a hold of us because we really need some help. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Kenny? Yeah. I want America to understand who Andy was, the capacity for love that that man had, and the capacity for forgiveness, you know, I learned how to be a man from Andy. You know, he taught me so many things. I He gave me a work ethic that still serves me today. You know, what happened to Andy, I know in my heart was not at Andy's own hand. And, you know, being an addict does not ever need to, to uh, result in death. So I'm begging the American people, lawyers, you know, if you truly stand for for justice, let's get Andy some justice. Because if there's ever been anyone that deserves it, I believe it's Andy. And I want to thank the Just Cause 
for your interest in this and sharing uh, our story and Eddie's story and uh, um, to the rest of the Anderson family uh, with us and listening. I love you guys and uh, I'll always be here. And, uh, Dr. Kenny, go ahead, Billy. No, I was just going to tell Kenny I loved him too. And then he's a good <laughs> guy. Terry. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just, just want to thank Just Cause for uh, bringing this to the surface. Hopefully, it'll do some good. Uh, and the people that called in with their uh, thoughts and sympathies there. Okay, and thank you for that. And Samantha? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody, and hopefully this will help get the news out, and hopefully some other family don't have to go through this, because this is terrible. And yeah. Just thank you guys for being there and helping us through this. Yeah, and you're, you're quite welcome on that, and uh, uh, thank you so much for those kind words. Desiree? I just want to thank everybody for being on the show, letting us come on and tell our story, and hopefully we can get some justice for him and the whole family. And thank you, and we appreciate that as well. And uh, folks, uh, please know you guys all have my contact information. Feel free to contact us uh, as you need to. And uh, believe me, it just calls will not go away. And we are dedicated to finding justice and to bring that message of justice around the world. Thank you so much. Our prayers and thoughts are with you and your, and your family. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure uh, this will make a difference. And uh, we will fight for justice for Mike. I mean, excuse me, for Andy. Uh, he, goes, he, goes, <laughs> he goes for Andy, right? That's what he goes by? Right, yeah. 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 Okay. So we will fight for Andy as we continue. To seek justice. Thank you so very, very much for sharing your story. Thank you, Lamont. Thank you very much. Okay, and we will definitely be in touch, okay? All righty. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the interview with the Anderson family. What a sincere tragedy. Um, our prayers still, our thoughts go out to the family. I don't know how you ever get over that, if you ever will. But we are grateful for them taking time to share their story about what they have gone through, no matter how agonizing that may have been. But to say to others, we must lift our voice. It is critically important that we do that. Dennis, uh, when I hear Billy talk, um, these events, these things strike me as something that can stop the heart. That's how heavy this type of grief is. Uh, took a lot of courage for her to come on, and, and as, as the father uh, said on there, somebody please help us. I will commit a Just Cause AGC Radio to continue to seek for answers that have not been answered. And they were so thankful. I mean, they were because, you know, in this country today, you just don't see uh, people, 
you know, getting out there trying to help people get justice. Yep. And tonight, you could tell, you know, she was she was so thankful and so appreciative that here's an agency willing to put my story out there and help me let people know that my son was killed. He, yep. he didn't take his own life. And for uh, AJC to be willing to do that and then to do it, you know, vehemently, it's just awesome. And it's, it's something to, to talk about. It's, it really made me, it touched me to hear her say how much she was so thankful that somebody was willing to put her story out there. Oh, and that's critically important. If we remain silent, ladies and gentlemen of America, if we remain silent, uh, we are culpable. Make no mistake about it. If you have a voice, your voice must be heard. If you're okay with the abuse of law enforcement, whether it's a correctional officer, a deputy sheriff in a county jail, whoever it might be, if you are okay with the senseless killing of human beings, remain silent. If you are okay with the torture of men and women in prison, remain silent. If you have no problem with children hanging from a sheet from their bunk in a juvenile detention center while an officer takes pictures for his scrapbook, remain silent. I can tell you right now that will not be the case with the just cause. Listen to this. According to former union officials, Bureau of Prisons personnel have known for years that the Cowboys are guards who routinely beat and abuse inmates at Florence ADX Supermax Prison in Colorado. Routinely. Guards would drop handcuffed inmates face first on concrete floors and would then kick them repeatedly in the ribs, kidneys, and testicles. Flaming papers were thrown into cells as a pretext for spraying men with fire extinguishers. Meals were served with feces and urine in the food trays. Faces were smashed into concrete walls. Handcuffs also were clamped so tight that wrists and ankles were left lacerated and bruised. Leg shackles cut flesh to the bone when men were forced to run and when they fell to the ground, they uh, would be kicked, hit, and slammed more. Dennis, your thoughts on something like that? That's, uh, again... Uh, that, that's that's crazy. I mean, it's ridiculous. And again, that's because uh, the culture. It is. Uh, there's no accountability. I can do whatever I want to do. Uh, I'm in charge here. I can treat these uh, less than uh, human uh, people with with without dignity. Dignity. I can do anything I want. And that's what this is. What is this? This is the type of environment that is created when there is. No accountability, period. Well, my thought is this is the leg shackles cut the flesh to the wow. bone. Do you know how tight that shackle has to be? Oh, it's tight. That's purposely done. And then they're forced to run, and when they fell to the ground, they would be kicked. This is at Florence, Colorado. Unacceptable. This is inhumane. This is not somebody slipped and made a mistake. 
This is blatant disregard for human life. That's all it is. And when you get done making excuses, well, we need more training. Well, uh, they put their lives on the line every day. Apparently not. They're killing. They're abusing. Every day. Unacceptable. And I get so tired of people coming out in defense. Let me make this very clear. There are correctional officers that are good correctional officers. There are good wardens at some of these prisons. They're, They're out there. So make no mistake about it. We don't blame all. But for the ones who can sit, as we talked during the break about Mr. Rainey in Florida, and laugh while a man is cooked to death in a shower, and saying nobody can help you as a man beats on the door as his flesh falls from his body as he is boiled in a shower. You sit and laugh and have the ability to turn the shower off. You choose not to. You're culpable. You're responsible. You're an accessory, if not first-degree murder. Charges should have been brought. Bottom line. Until we wake up to that fact, this country will continue to spiral out of control. And I'm grateful for the groups out there that are that are doing uh, what they do in helping to bring awareness to this issue. Ladies and gentlemen, as we approach the end of another season on AJC Radio, we are very thankful tonight for all of our hosts for our research team who works tirelessly to bring the information to you, to us, that we might bring it to you, to our production team who has been on above, goes above and beyond to ensure that this show is played on on your computer in your homes uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. A very, very, very special thanks to them and to all of the AJC radio team tonight as we are winding down to another season. And in, in respect to the holiday season, as it approaches quickly, uh, probably more, more uh, probably sooner than we'd like, uh, but we're here. And uh, families now will get into the holiday spirit and mood of, of doing things. If you get an opportunity, go to the Internet, look up the Christmas house. Uh, on the Internet, you'll find a house that is out of this world. And uh, we're here, man. We might as well talk about it. Uh, Folks will be doing it. But a very special thanks. Our prayers, our thoughts to every family member who has suffered injustice this year and the years before that are fighting for justice, seeking a way that they might find relief for their loved ones. Uh, Our prayers and thoughts are with them as well. We cannot close the show without saying our respect and honor to the IRP5. Um, wrongfully convicted justice is on the way and we're very grateful for those men David Banks Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart and Demetrius Harper and uh, also uh, our beloved brother Kendrick Barnes Uh, we are grateful that the fight for justice marches on for the RP5 and uh Dennis, when, when we, we get into this discussion, it's been a year. Uh, it's been a minute. 
uh, in discussing the injustice of these men to their families, to those that have bore the brunt, if you will, of injustice. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them as well as we continue going into 2019, uh, determined more than ever to continue to fight uh, for justice. Your closing thoughts on that. Again, uh, a just cause has done uh, a tremendous work and getting it out there, making people aware of the injustices that happen in this country. And I hope that uh, the audience gets out of it that, hey, uh, it's our turn. You know, get out there and vote. Get out there and make a difference. Vote for those in office that are, that are, that are going to be about the people. So, uh, again, I enjoyed the run. It's been awesome. Oh, absolutely. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, it's been a great year. We've learned a lot, seen a lot. And... Um, all we can do is continue to fight the good fight and try to get the voices heard for those who, you know, don't have a voice of their own. Uh, reach out to Congress. Uh, like Dennis said, you know, get out there, force your legislators to hear what you have to say. The way to do that is by casting your vote. If they do something that you like, vote for them. If they are not willing to uh, change the laws for the things that you feel are, uh, you know, moral, competent issues, Vote against them. That's that is the way that we can get change in this company in this country. Call your members of Congress at the state and the and the uh, federal level. Let them know how you feel about the things that you've heard on this show about the abuses, about the wrongdoings, about uh, human beings being being treated than uh, than less than that. And um, we'll continue on, and you know we'll see you guys on the other side. No, absolutely right. And I'll tell you this, folks. Uh, tune in. Uh, if you get an opportunity, we'll be playing the entire Voices from Behind the Wall series uh, now until uh, looking roughly early January when we return. Uh, you'll be notified of uh, when that happens, but it'll be, we're looking forward to 2019. Make no mistake about it. Voices from Behind the Wall continues in 2019 as we address the issues that matter that have been tucked away. Those things that are hidden, that are covered up. Not going to be an option for ADC Radio. We continue. We have great challenges ahead, uh, but we're excited about those uh, opportunities to be the voice for the voiceless. And we're very grateful again to the entire ADC Radio team and all that we uh, and all that we do. Um, ladies and gentlemen, tune in every Tuesday and Thursday. They're all pre-recorded shows. If you get a break during the holiday push, uh, there's some information you want to know. We're going. We're going to play every Voices from Behind the Wall until we return. You're looking at about 21, 22 different programs that address a variety of issues uh, of, uh, of those issues that we have had to address, whether you're talking about juvenile detention, whether you're talking about uh, 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 the mental illness issue, if you're talking about uh, wrongful convictions, if you're talking about the voices of the innocent, everything that you can imagine, voices from behind the wall, it'll be a real treat. Tell your family, friends, everybody you know, tune in to the show. Check us out on social media as we will keep things up to date and going. It has been a privilege, ladies and gentlemen of America. I'll say it right now. A very Merry Christmas as the holidays approach rapidly. A Happy New Year. We'll see you on the other side of 2019. This is AJC Radio. Good night, America.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.